Hey gang, it's Harold. I'm podcasting to you from the pandemic quarantine. In the interest of distracting myself and my gaming friends, I'm reaching out to some interesting people to ask them what they're doing game-wise. With such a big time dividend, I want to hear what they're playing, designing, and thinking about. No CNN, no CNBC, just games. My production obsession will have to be put on hold as I'm most interested in communicating with you rapidly and with some interesting content. This podcast documents a discussion I had with game designer Frederick Serval, designer of the upcoming game Red Flag Over Paris, available on the GMT Games P500 list. Hey, Harold. Oh, very good. How are you? I'm good, and you? I'm doing great, thank you. Not too early? No, this isn't bad at all. This is uh, 9 a.m. my time, very civilized. Okay, that sounds good then. I was a bit more worried about the time difference. But that's just, uh, that's the price of living in a, in a, such a small world, isn't it? Yes, it is. But the fact that we find a good time start, I think, is, is, is awesome. So, thanks for that. Yes. A couple of uh, ground rules, if you don't mind. They're, they're pretty simple. You've, I'm sure you've heard them before, but... Uh, I did. Yeah. No, no discussions <laughs> of medical issues, no discussions of political issues, and please, no discussion of financial markets. That sounds perfectly fine. Even, even though I, I would have one caveat around the political thing, uh, I think that historical, history is highly political, and in a way, talking about war games is... It's hard not to be uh, 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 touching at some point, in a way, uh, about at least politics when it comes around history. But uh, but I will stick to the rules as much as I can. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's a very specific kind of politics I'm trying to avoid. So. Uh, yeah, I, I get I, I get that. Yeah. But but you're right. You know, everything we do in in games is politically charged. Even even if you say you're not taking a position, you're taking a position, right? The presentation of a game and the structure and the potential outcomes all lead you to a political statement, whether you like it or not. Yeah, we do have a point of view on the events that we are covering in the designs. So I think it's uh, it's always there in a, in a shape or form. Uh, and I think the, the thing is just to make sure that we that we stay fair and true to the history, but we cannot avoid having a point of view, I guess. That's right. That's right. Well, so you, uh, you're in Denmark, right? Yeah, I live in Denmark uh, in, uh, in a region called Jutland. Uh, so I'm uh, on a city called, uh, a small city called Weile, next to the coast. But I'm, uh, I'm actually French, uh, and I've been living in Denmark for the last two years and a half. I'd, I'd love to hear more about uh, the gaming environment in Denmark. Are you, do you, find, are you finding opponents? Are you... Um... Are you finding a good supply of uh, games from around the world? Yeah, that was actually a point of concern when I moved uh, to Denmark originally, uh, because I was living in Paris when I was living in France. I've done all of my career over there, even though I'm not from Paris. Uh, and one of the concerns I had is, am I going to find gamers? Uh, I'm gonna, am I going to be able to buy games? Like that's, That should be the list of my concern when you were moving out to a different country, but it was definitely one of them. Uh, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I was very lucky uh, because in my in my very small city, I actually happened to have uh, one other GMT designer uh, living here that became my regular game buddy. 
which was completely unexpected in such a small city uh, in Denmark. Um, and uh, he's called uh, uh, Brian uh, Asklev Hansen, who was a designer for the Musket and Pike series. So it was I was very gifted in that uh, in that regard. And then over the years, I actually got to meet a lot of uh, war gamers uh, from around the region, not necessarily my city specifically, but in surrounding cities. Uh, there is a pretty big uh, ASL scene here. Uh, I think it's uh, yeah, it's a, they are everywhere in a way. <laughs> uh, but uh, and around this, you've got obviously ASL players that play all the games, and you have war gamers. Uh, and as soon as you get organized uh, using BGG guilds or stuff like this, you get to know people. And uh, I think we are uh, as long as we we make the effort of uh, trying to get together, we there is still players uh, anywhere in the world. I would say, uh, or at least in Denmark, that was a good surprise. Uh, no publishers or war game shops, though. That's uh, that's the the limit of it. But finding opponents uh, to play uh, to play games is definitely not a problem here. So that's that was that was really really cool. Yes, and uh, and and Vivictus uh, delivered within the eurozone too. There, right? Yes, they do indeed. Uh, I got a few Vivictus game uh, over uh, over the last two years and a half. Uh, I still have a. I still love uh, uh, this magazine, even though I don't live in France anymore, and I cannot just buy it to the, uh, at the shop uh, uh, next to my uh, next to my place. But uh, I do uh, continue to order them from time to time when I'm uh, interested in the topic of the game or when I know that they are covering, uh, they are making reviews of games that I'm interested in. I I usually get the the validity issue that uh, of that uh, of that month, so that's also a good thing. Yes, very good. So Brian must have been uh, just ecstatic to have you move into town. Yeah, I think it was a good surprise for him too. Uh, even though uh, he was a bit surprised when I reached out to him, he was actually wondering how I found out that he was living in that small city. Uh, and then I made him realize that there is actually the listing on BGG, you can filter by city. And uh, I actually looked at all the, work, the people that were registered on BGG. Uh, there was not a lot of people from my city. I think there were six people uh, on BGG in my city, and there was only one that had war games, and he had a lot. And I was like, okay, that's if I get along with this guy, I'm gonna have a great time over there. And uh, and we got along really well, and was it was really really awesome. And it is still it still is. I still live here, obviously, so we still uh, play on a regular basis. Uh, even though it has been a bit more complicated lately, but we uh, we start uh, playing again face to face. Yeah, we started two weeks ago to uh, to go back to our regular working schedule. What do you like to play face to face? So he's uh, he's actually working quite a lot on different designs. So we play a lot. Uh, we play test a lot actually uh, uh, upcoming designs. Um, some of them in the Burst of Europe series for Academy Games, uh, and a few of them in the Fog of War series also by Academy Games. So those are the games that we play the most frequently. And uh, recently what we decided is that uh, we were going to align on a list of games that we'll commit to for the upcoming six months because we had a tendency to go left and right, uh, try too many different games and never go in depth. And now the, in the list uh, we have a, a few limited set of games that we agree on playing. Uh, one of them is uh, Command Colors Napoleonics, uh, War of the Rings. Uh, a coin as a series is on the list so we can play any coin game in there. Uh, and those are the games that we uh, mostly focus on for now. Uh, and of course, uh, the, the designs that we both do, uh, we play test each other designs and have some design sessions when we uh, when we play together from time to time. Yeah, well, you're very you're very lucky on all fronts. Yes, that's that was yeah definitely very lucky. I feel very lucky, definitely. So, uh, 
GMT P500 list, you've got a game, Red Flag Over Paris. Is this your first? Yeah, it's my first, uh, I would say, professional uh, design. Uh, I didn't do uh, any games before. I did uh, have uh, designs that I did on my spare time, uh, but that were not, uh, not with the intent of being released in any way. Uh, I've made uh, small war games for my nieces. I have two young nieces that are... Uh, that I tried to convert to war gaming in a in a in a way, and I made a few a couple of. Uh, she the one that was the most evolved is a cute tank battle game uh, that I made for them uh, using uh, uh, using toys that they like to play with. But I created a set of rules, modular terrain for them to play when they come over. Uh, but my first professionally design is Red Flag Over Paris. So tell me about the game. What's the time period, um, and what uh, what are you shooting for here? So the game actually covers the period from uh, the 18th of March 1871 to the 28th of May 1871 uh, in Paris, and it covers the, the, the insurrection of the Paris Commune. Uh, and the idea is that you have two factions that are competing both militarily and uh, politically. Uh, so on one hand, you've got the, the, the government uh, of Adolphe Thiers in Versailles, and on the other hand, you have uh, the, the Commune Council that is also known as the Paris Commune. Uh, that is the insurrection that uh, happened in Paris at that time. Even though there were other communes appearing in other cities in France, uh, this is where uh, most of the of the action happened. So it's covering that uh, that specific era, and uh, and that came uh, as the insurrection came after the the 1870 uh, Franco-Prussian War that ended up in a major defeat for for France, uh, the abolition of the empire, and the creation of the new Third Republic. Uh, and, but there was tension, obviously, about the outcomes of the war, and uh, and all of those tensions uh, appeared like a small, very condensed uh, in scope uh, civil war, you could say, between uh, uh, two different views of what France should be uh, after the end of the empire. Of course. Uh, Two-player game, as I understand? Yeah, two-player game, uh, and it's using the uh, 13 days Fort Center, uh, I would say, core system, so uh, uh, CDG. Um, where you have a very limited amount of spaces you can play on. Uh, the main difference is that uh, in that game you have a strict divide between political and military spaces. Uh, and I and I went in the way of a bit less abstraction, with actually putting geographical connections uh, uh, in the spaces, and also uh, introduced something that I call the political dynamic, uh, that creates a network of how the different political spaces are interconnected together to create a bit more uh, like a tactical field, but also add some uh, some more historical context and to say something a bit uh, a bit about the event. But the, the core idea is the same. It's kind of a short game and uh, and very inspired, of course, by uh, by games such as Twilight Struggle or, or those kind of uh, systems. So you have a you have a robust subject, right? A, 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 some and, and you could have gone a number of directions and structure and and factions and um, and complexity of the game. What made you choose the simpler model here? Um, that's actually a good question. There was a diff lot of different considerations uh, when I when I started thinking about making a game on the Paris Commune. I, I think your idea of making a game on the Paris Commune came to me probably in twenty in yeah in twenty seventeen, so a while ago. Uh, and I actually uh, attempted different approaches to design. Now, the first one I I thought of was um, an area impulse game uh, that was specifically covering the Bloody Week, 
which is the last week of the Paris Commune where you had actually fights in Paris uh, from the 21st of May to the 28th of May that ended up in the end of the Paris Commune with troops from Versailles coming into different uh, neighborhoods and then building their way up to the Père Lachaise, which was the final stand of the Commune. So that was the first approach. But the thing is that what I thought was that that part of the event was probably the least interesting one. Um, as soon as the troops entered Paris, there was no opportunities for actually the commune to win anything. Uh, militarily, they were uh, completely out of their league, and it, it's, it would have been a very one-sided and probably boring game, even if with victory conditions something could have been done. But And I realized it wasn't really the story I wanted to tell. I wanted to s tell something more about the event as a whole. And then, yeah, obviously there were decisions about what would be the best system to showcase this. And one of the considerations I had is that I wanted people who are not necessarily rogue nerds to play the game. I wanted it to be accessible to a wider audience, maybe as a, as a game that could introduce you to the wider range of war games, because that's also a concern that I have. It's a hobby that I love, but I know that it's really hard to get people into it. And I thought, well, maybe I should, uh, as my first design, do something that I think would be interesting to the hobby, actually making a game that would get new people into the hobby. So I started thinking about what would be a good system for it. Obviously, I considered coin at some point as a system, but I think that the event was not fitting with the system. So it didn't make sense to force a system into an event that wasn't fitting. Um, so I, I, I thought again about it uh, for a while. And then one day, Port Center was released. Uh, I ordered it. I played it. And when I played it, 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 it became obvious. I was like, well, that would be actually the perfect setup the perfect system that fits the uh, that fits the event as a whole, and I thought it was doing everything that I wanted it to do. Just that I had to uh, uh, to change some core aspects of it. I wanted to do something else with it, but the the basis was actually perf perfect fit for for the story I wanted to tell. It's interesting, right? I think that that Fort Sumter freed us all up in in a number of ways. One is that it freed us up in the context of thinking about simpler applications. Uh, to these complex problems, but the other thing that freed us up is when you see that that uh, the great Mark Herman decides to do simpler games. Um, I think it it allows us to feel comfortable making the smaller games when before we may have felt forced into the complex. Yeah, I definitely think that's a really good point. He he created the space because in a lot of days you could say that 13 days was directly intended as a wider audience. He didn't came from a wargaming company, uh, and it wasn't uh, war game designers. Actually, the designers who did 13 days are now pretty well more known in uh, say in the euro game category. And the fact that someone like Mark Herman said he didn't say it, but he said it by making his design, you can tell history, you can make a war game, uh, but by uh, by Making the scope simpler, make uh, shorter by making the make it in smaller and more accessible. It still is a war game. It really depends just what you want to say with your design. It's still feasible and it's uh, it's a it's a legitimate uh, war game design approach. I think it definitely created something even for gamers to think, well, yeah, that's definitely a war game, uh, and I'm and I'm fine with it. So for for a designer, you're right. It's it's really uh, it's really nice to have uh, someone like him. Uh, so well known and respected to open the uh, open this path for us. That was definitely awesome. Yes, and 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 you know my experience of trying to do the work on a simpler game was I thought it would be easy, but I think it's actually harder to create a simple game than it is a complex game. 
it is very hard. I would say that simplicity is hard, uh, but then I wouldn't. It's it's weird to say that because in a lot of ways it is simpler uh, to 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 do those kind of games, especially in the development process, uh, because uh, because you have less um, uh, variations to test. It's probably easier to develop as a project, but uh, all the work, the conceptual work that you have to do to 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 make uh, the the game relevant for the history that you're trying to tell by limiting the amount of mechanics and the amount of chrome that you want to put in is also a pretty strong constraint for a designer because there is always stuff that you want to add because there is always things that you want to show and forcing yourself to only pick what matters, what makes a good and fluid game and that tells a good history with very limited tools is also uh, is also a, a different kind of challenge. I don't know if it's simpler to be honest but it, it, it it has this, the, a certain level of complexity, actually, to uh, to achieve a game like that. That's that's definitely not an easy kind of game to design. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the the constraints, right, really create the create the the design challenge. Um, you know, the the playtime, the the mechanisms that you allow yourself, and then everything else that you exclude, because it's, when you're designing a bigger game, it's always easier to add something, right? We can add this or that and it becomes more complex. But when you're eliminating and trying to make it elegant and fast, um, it really, it, it, it's a test. It's a, a very interesting intellectual exercise. And for me on um, South China Sea, it's, it's been an incredible test I've, that I failed a few times and then had to go back to the drawing board. Um, but I think the, what you've done on South China Sea was also, for me, very inspiring because I, in the earlier version of my design, uh, when it was, I think I'm not even sure it was, I think it was uh, teased as a future uh, P500 at some point, uh, but it was not in the P500 yet. And I started by testing your game with uh, Vesarponen. Um, I was actually impressed by how much um, uh, things you actually put in, in an elegant and streamlined design. And I think that was, and when I saw it, I was really feeling like, well, that must have been hard to come up with something like this, because it's definitely saying something about uh, the situation right now in the South China Sea and the rising level of tension between between China and the U.S. Um, and it was a, it was an awesome inspiration. Uh, you're you're very kind to say that, um, but but yes, it it you know, trying to find those mechanisms right that that allow you to play the game quickly, and to make decisions and. Um, you know, there's a, there's a mechanism that uh, that Mark included in Fort Sumter that uh, I fought off, which is the the uh, the card hidden for a future reference, right? That that one of your one of your cards from your hand goes goes uh, goes into waiting until the end of the game, and then there's a there's a closing mechanism there, and and so I made an early decision to exclude that, not because it's bad or because I don't like it, but just because I wanted all the information on top and available once it's produced from your hand. But, uh, but that, you know, that was an elimination of that mechanism <laughs> actually increased the complexity for me because, uh, because that's a, that's a terrific mechanism to use uh, in a, in a simple game uh, to allow you to add depth and, um, and 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 increase the complexity that your opponent faces. I think, and, and that's a really good point. That mechanic is is actually really crucial in in Fort Center, and I also struggle with it. So I definitely hear you on that. Um, and I think with those smaller games, how the game and 
is actually very important for such a short experience. So you have to find a way where you don't have the impression at the end of the game that oh, that's how it ends and it's a bit frustrating. So you need to have something that makes sense. Uh, and I and uh, it was also I also struggled with how to make the game end. Uh, two of things was how will the last turn go? So what do I do with the cards that you keep for the end of the game, which I kept from uh, uh, from the original design, but I decided to uh, change the way the final crisis actually plays out. Um, and I, the thing that is also was also really tough was working on the victory conditions. I think that's for those small games. That's really what makes everything because your players are going to focus on this, uh, and victory conditions are going to be very clear for such a short game. It's not like something you can slowly build up to. You have to have this in mind. So what you're giving as an objective is also very hard to keep the game very exciting uh, uh, for, for so small amount of uh, time like this. So I think it was, it's probably the, the, the section of the, the part of the game that took me the most time and the, as the most iteration actually, victory conditions and how the final crisis is going to turn out. Well, it, you know, the, re the reviews from the GMT crew are rave. I've, I've seen it on the table. I was there visiting, may, you know, maybe six months ago, and uh, I saw it in Gene's office, and we talked about it a little bit, and his son was working on it. And uh, I know Jason Carr is also just uh, is, is effusive in his support for the game. So I, I think it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a big success, and, and I'm excited for you uh, as a first game, so congratulations on all that. <laughs> that's really nice. I hope it will be a success, that's for sure. But uh, I, I, I know it's a, it's a pretty obscure event to a lot of players, but the fact that we're actually closing to the end of the P500 is for me already like almost a miracle. So, so I really appreciate the... Yeah. I really appreciate the, the the nice words for for it. It did change quite a bit since you saw it at the at the warehouse uh, uh, event in at GMT. Uh, a few things uh, changed over the over the course of those six months, but uh, I really hope that uh, players will enjoy it definitely. And when I see the feedbacks from the playtests that we're running right now on on Discord, it I feel like it's going really well. Uh, so I'm. Actually, looking forward to have the the game in the hand of the players to to see what they think about it. Yeah, and and I think you know, regardless of the t of the subject matter, I think that uh, it, if a game is fun, gamers will pick it up. And and in my opinion, you know, obscure subjects are the most interesting, at least to me. So um, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm confident that uh, you'll 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 get a solid audience. Now, how are you doing on? Uh, on the little details, like rules writing, how's that experience? So for me, rules writing was definitely a challenge. As you might hear, I'm not native in English. <laughs> it's my friend, it's strong French accent. Uh, so, and, and the thing with writing rules is that you have to be very efficient in the way you write, uh, very efficient in the way you convey the ideas. It's basically you're writing a program for uh, for human computers, so it, and it's really hard uh, to 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 write an efficient set of rules. So that was that was pretty tough uh, for me, especially at the beginning. Uh, but I had a lot of help. Uh, I think that um, uh, Luke, uh, so Gene's son, that is uh, working on the development of the game, helped a lot on this, making sure that we streamlined the way it was uh, written, uh, really understanding the idea that I had behind each mechanic to make it more understandable by players. And then I had a lot of help from playtesters, and that was, for me, uh, that was a massive help. I think Ves Arponen uh, 
helped me tremendously in the earlier stages of the game to come to a stage where I was happy to uh, open it to playtest and have something that was solid. And he helped also a lot rewriting and uh, restructuring some of the rules to make it more accessible, to make it more streamlined, uh, optimizing the victory conditions that were a bit of a problem at first. Um, and now I have in my playtest group uh, some people who are really brilliant. Uh, there is a lawyer that actually spent quite some time in helping me uh, uh, making some of the language a bit more efficient and that helps just uh, just a lot and I like this idea that in the end I am a designer yes uh, it's my brainchild you could say but it's the the collaboration that I have with people from GMT other designers but also the playtesters that actually it's this collective effort to actually build up a game it's a, it's a very it's a very exciting process actually this uh, this collective part that I didn't necessarily expect because it was my first game and it's something that I really tremendously enjoyed. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, some games I think are, are engineering exercises, right? Where, um, you know, I think of some of the OCS games where you create a map that reflects the area and you create the counters and, and the order of battle. And then, and then everything becomes very engineering oriented, right? But, but a game like this, uh, especially in, you know, a new, uh, a new attempt at a at, with a new system you, you have to be a good collaborator to do well and and you see so many failures for, of collaboration right people that don't work well with others and uh and and don't benefit from the others view uh, from the view of others right i think that just having somebody else disagree with me is one of my great joys uh in the game design because it forces me to either defend myself or at least um, step back and question myself. Um, that's a, that's a really good point because either you are really sure about yourself and it forces you to structure why you went for that approach and having this exercise of actually setting down like the, the justification for it and explaining why you think that this is a better mechanic is a good exercise, but also the feedback that you get from the players, they usually come up with point of views or experiences that you wouldn't have. I realized really early uh, in the design and in the playtest because I playtested play it myself solo, of course, a lot. And I had a tendency to to play in a certain way and I couldn't see the, the different ways in which you could use the system. And, and you need to see that. You need to see other people experience it from a different angle or a different point of view. And that's, that's super, very useful and also super fun. Uh, to see something that you created being used in different ways that you didn't expect. Uh, and that's personally a part of the process that probably I enjoyed the most. Yeah, I, uh, I actually get the most out of playtests when I'm there with the playtesters and I'm able to experience it through their eyes. That's much more compelling for me than asking for feedback or, you know, logs of moves or anything else. I, I like to see what they're talking about and what they're thinking about and what's hard and what's easy. That's definitely a nice experience, if they enjoy the game, though. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> if, you, if you feel that it's painful, uh, it's uh, it can be a bit frustrating and you can have a, a lot of uh, self-confidence issue uh, there. But uh, when they enjoy the game, it's definitely a, a great experience. Right. Uh, that's that's, that's all, always nice. <laughs> yeah, the, your self-confidence and self-worth are tested at multiple times. It's, it's very brave to, uh, in my opinion, uh, to, to put a game out and let and let this universe of war gamers comment. Um, most of the comments are great. Some of them are crazy. Yes. Uh, there was a. There was a. There was a. 
an experience on Liberty or Death where uh, uh, someone decided on Board Game Geek that they were going to write a 5,000-word treatise on what they didn't like about Liberty or Death. And that was the title, What I Don't Like About Liberty or Death. And, oh, that's uh, helpful. <laughs> so, and so, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't read it, and uh, I, I directly told the individual that I wasn't going to read it. And, uh, and uh, of course, you know, out of curiosity, I wanted to know what was in there. But, but you know, I, I think that you're tested all the time, and your self-confidence will be tested, and, uh, and that's, that's just part of the fun. And it, I, I, through that time, I, I've got to know Mark Herman well, and, and, and it was, uh, and, and seeing his response to people that are critical of his work, um, and, and you realize that there's going to be somebody critical of everything. If there's somebody critical of some of Mark Herman's good work, uh, there's going to be somebody critical, certainly, of my work. So, But I really, about Mark Herman, I really like, I think it was in your podcast where he uh, talked about this anecdote he has about Fort Sumter, about the player that actually explains what he doesn't, what he doesn't like about the game and explaining that he played the game 70 times. And it's like, at some point, if you had fun playing 70 times and you found out stuff that you don't like about it, just admit that you did still have a good time. You wouldn't have played 70 times if it wasn't the case. So I think that was a really, really good one. But, uh, but yeah, the self-confidence thing is definitely something I had to... to it was a learning process uh, for me because in the original, the early part of the playtest, each time I had a feedback, I was considering that the design was really bad, that I should change everything. Maybe I shouldn't even design the word game. And working through that, it's actually that I need to take it in, good things and bad things, and then do something positive out of it. Uh, was also a learning process. It can be very challenging. Uh, you, you doubt yourself a lot uh, in the beginning, definitely. Yes, and and the the the, the good one, the the moment of doubt that you you have coming up that uh, I'll warn you about, but I can't do anything to help you with is uh, is that as soon as the game is out of your hands and it goes to the printer you have this fear that you've missed something material and, uh, and, and, and didn't detect it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, to be honest, I already fear that. Yes. <laughs> even though we're yes. not even there yet. So already, yeah. Yeah, wait, I, wait, I, yeah. And it gets worse. And, and then, you know, then you have to wait for it to survive the test of play. Right. Because even, you know, even the best of play tests, you can't get, 30, 40, 50 play tests done effectively on the final game. You, you know, you could, there's a limited number of t tests that we can do and a limited number of information we can gather before it has to be published. We, we just have a small sample of how the game is going to uh, happen and we, we cannot predict uh, hundreds of players uh, playing uh, multiple times, like the, the scale of, uh, of what's going to happen when the game is going to be released. Yeah, I guess, obviously, it's going to... Some stuff are going to be probably missed, I guess, that I hope not too much, but let's uh, see. It's changed my perspective on being critical of uh, these games in this little hobby, right? There's so few of us that are working on it, nobody's really making any money. Um, the vast majority of people that are working on it are working on it as volunteers. And we create these games, and they go out, and they're, you know, I mean, they're not scrutinized like a Hasbro game would be scrutinized and those are certainly much simpler. And then, yeah. and then it goes out to a public that some, you know, some people are, are un understanding of errata and changes. Others aren't. And I understand that people don't want to buy a game if there, if there's errata, right? I mean, I think we have, all have our own sensitivity to it and standard, but you know, I'm amazed that there aren't more problems given the volunteer nature of this industry and the fact that we're most of us are doing this as a 
as a hobby and not a full-time job. I'm actually super impressed that we released that many good games uh, as a as a community because we were we're not the biggest uh, pl players community like not, it's nothing as big as the people playing Euro games and we do release a pretty good amount of really good games. Uh, it's actually quite impressive for almost none of us live of it uh, and and it's actually impressive that you have so many really talented designers that come up with so, so many good games and um, yeah I think it's uh, it's actually humbling the fact that we were so active as a as a group agreed that's nice to see I agree and I you know continually remind people that this is an all-volunteer army yes definitely and it should be respected for it definitely so, um, so what's next for you? Do you have uh, ideas in mind? Are there things you're working on in addition to Red Flag Over Paris? Yeah, actually working on Red Flag Over Paris and the whole uh, process of designing a game, I didn't know what to expect, but uh, now, that I'm, uh, the, now that I'm there, it actually opens up, uh, opened up a lot of different things uh, for me that I realized that I wanted to make more games. Originally, I just wanted to make a game on the Paris Commune because I felt like we need to have a war game on the Paris Commune and I was frustrated that there weren't any, but I didn't think about making other games afterwards. Uh, but now that I started uh, doing this, uh, meeting with people, other designers that were super interesting, I realized that actually I like the whole process, uh, I enjoy it a lot, and I started thinking about designing other games. Uh, have different projects uh, that I'm working on right now. The one that is probably the the most advanced now is uh, is a small coin game on uh, on Robin Hood. So uh, the idea is to, to open up uh, with a theme that is a bit uh, less heavy than the other themes for, for coin games, so a bit more accessible, a smaller scale, faster playing game, a bit more whimsical and a bit less historical, even though I use some historical uh, resources to, uh, to base the game on, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, and I wanted to make coin games actually after, after a while. Uh, because it's a system that I really love, and uh, and I thought, well, what I would like to do is maybe uh, uh, a game for for new players coming to our hobby to get them excited by the system, and if possible, to get them to play other coin games in the future. So that's the the one that is the most advanced. I have a prototype now, and I'm, I have early playtest with a with a the best group I could have. Uh, so it's just a couple of guys that I that I met on the on the coin discord server uh, so Sean O'Keefe and, uh, and Joe Dewhurst uh, that are also designing their their own stuff uh, for, for future coins and it's working with them on a regular basis but we also play a lot of different games just for fun uh, is actually uh, like something that I that I enjoy a lot and I and I already have a few projects in mind that I uh, that I want to to work on um, that I'm thinking about uh, right now so that's uh, so yeah. It's it's. I don't know how for how long I'm gonna do it. So we'll see how Red Flag Over Paris does, obviously. But I would be more than happy to continue uh, uh, doing games for for GMT in the future because I I realize I have a, a lot of fun designing board games. Well, that's great. I think you've got a you've got a long um, a long future ahead of designing, and I look forward to seeing what you come up with. Um, I've told people before that. Um, and, and my wife punches me if she's around when I say it, but designing a game is very much like childbirth. That uh, when immediately when you're finished, you'd never want to do it again. But enough time passes that uh, you forget what it was like, and you start on another design. So then um, I hope to have a huge family in in a few years from now. Definitely, that's that's <laughs> that's the objective. That's terrific. Frederick, um, thank you for taking the time. It was great to talk to you, and uh, and and I know that. Uh, uh, that it's getting late there, so I, I uh, hope I didn't keep you up past your bedtime. 
No, no, actually, it's uh, it's only uh, it's not even 7 p.m. here, so I'm good, and I'm actually planning on uh, having a few beers in uh, 15 minutes from now. So you're not keeping me uh, away from anything. I have all the time in the world, but it was it was awesome uh, talking with you, and thanks for the opportunity. Being a huge fan from the podcast, it was actually a bit uh, a bit stressing to uh, to uh, to get on there and uh, have the discussion with you. That's that's actually quite awesome. So thanks for for that. Yes, you're very kind. Well, it was good fun, and uh, we will do it again soon. I hope so.